So this will conclude our series on the study of God this Wednesday night. And um, I'm excited about this message. Last week we talked about God's power, his power. And uh, we've served a very powerful God who is in total control. And if, you know, it feels like, if it feels like our life is falling apart, it's actually not. Think about it this way. In order for the gold to be purified, it's got to go through the fire. And all his children go through the fire to be purified. And all things work together for the good of those who love him. We serve a powerful God. But tonight, we're going to talk about his finger. Interesting topic, huh? I think you're going to really enjoy it. I did. I enjoyed studying it. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 20. Here we go. One day, Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He knew their thoughts, so he said, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say, I am empowered by Satan? But if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you have said. This is the key verse. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. This word, these three words, power of God. I'll read that last verse again, verse 20. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, which can also be translated finger of God. It also can be translated finger of God. Okay, so he's, Jesus is saying, if I am casting out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. So Jesus is refuting them with some pretty simple logic here, but he's so brilliant. He's so smart. He knows his scriptures. When he says power of God, finger of God, he's making Old Testament references that these Jews would understand. There's many mentions of the finger of God in the Old Testament. And so he's saying, I am casting out these demons by the finger of God. And we'll study a little bit tonight about examples of the finger of God. So he's blowing their minds with this idea that he's using the actual finger of God to cast out demons. And this is why they got, this is why they're always so angry at him. How dare you, you know? So, but he's saying here that if I, by the finger of God, cast out these demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And like I said, this, this expression stretches all the way back to Exodus. And he's saying here that the kingdom of God has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is here. It's, it, this something is different has, has arrived. Now the law, right, the Ten Commandments, the law, was written in stone on Mount Sinai, and it was written by what? The finger of God, Right? Something came out down from heaven, wrote on those stone tablets, and what wrote on those stone tablets was the finger of God. And he is saying that the same finger God used in the Bible is the same finger I'm using right here too. And there's another story in the Bible, and you're familiar with it, but you've got to think of King Belshazzar. 
He's the king after Jehoshaphat. And, you know, Jehoshaphat was a horrible king. And Belshazzar comes around, and Belshazzar is a drunk, a partier. He is a total womanizer, and he is using all the prophets that Jehoshaphat had accumulated as king, and he just is, he is using all the resources, he's just wasting it on parties and girls and 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 alcohol and he is up there partying like crazy and this is what happens in daniel chapter 5 verses 4 through 6 while they drank from them they praised their idols made of gold silver bronze iron wood and stone suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. And so Jesus is making another Old Testament reference. He's making all these Old Testament references, whereas I'm casting out these demons by the finger of God, and the kingdom of God has come upon you. And when he says that, he's making these references to this idea that Belshazzar, the kingdom of God, has come upon Belshazzar. And the fright and the fear he felt when the kingdom of God has come upon him. He, and what was written on the wall had to be translated. And Daniel comes in and translates it. And it says, you have been found, you've been weighed, and you have been found wanting. So he, he's a horrible human being, right? God has noticed him. And it's Jesus is saying the same thing to these Jews. Is that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And it's the same finger. And it's the same expression of the finger of God when Pharaoh's men couldn't change the dust into lice. And they said, this is only done by the power of God or this is only done by the finger of God. And we'll read it right here. Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 through 19. You got to understand that Moses, right, is going in there and he's trying to get those Jews out of there. He's trying to get the slaves out, his people. And so Aaron and him are performing miracles by the power of God. But then Pharaoh's magicians are able to perform many of the miracles, aren't they? Because they serve an underground power. There's power from the underworld. So they're utilizing that source of power. They're utilizing the dark side of things. But there comes a point where the Pharaoh's magicians could no longer keep up with Moses and Aaron. And this is the story. This is what happened. So Exodus 8, 16 through 19. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise your staff and strike the ground. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. When Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with his staff, gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals. All the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed, and the gnats covered everyone, people, and animals alike. Now look at what verse 19 says. What does it say? This is the finger of God, the magicians exclaimed to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord predicted. So we see here that Jesus is saying, I cast out these demons by the finger of God. And he's making these Old Testament references to Belshazzar. He's making an Old Testament reference to the, the, the 
out of the mouth of the magicians of Pharaoh saying, this is the finger of God. This is more powerful than we are. And then he says, Jesus says, and if I've done this by the power of God or by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It has arrived upon you. And when he says it, it's not in a positive way that Jesus is saying this. This is not a positive statement that he's telling to, these, to these, this crowd. But it sounds kind of positive, right? It sounds like a big rejoicing moment. Because the kingdom of God has come upon you. Woo! No, it's not it at all. That's not the tone. That's not the tense of, of, the, of the verse here. What it is is this. It's used very negatively. He is saying that the kingdom of God has caught you as a thief. It has caught you like a policeman has caught you. The police have come upon you, and you have been hiding in the bushes, and you've been caught. Here we go. It's come upon you. So Jesus is saying, I've cast out this demon by the finger of God. Then the kingdom of God has apprehended you, and you have been found out. Modern English would say it this way. If this is the finger of God, you have just been busted by the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's what Jesus is saying. So you better watch out. You've been busted. And we know that they're busted. He says it all the other times too. So this is really truly what's happening in this verse. A lot happening in this little story, isn't it? But Jesus is making a tremendous statement here. He's saying, I have just used the same finger of God that wrote out the Old Testament, uh, that wrote out the Ten Commandments on the stone. I just used the same finger of God that, that pointed out the, the, the judgment upon Belshazzar. And I just used the same finger of God that, that the magicians exclaimed, that's where the power comes from. And you, my friend, have been found in the wanting. Whoa. See, that's why they're, always, that's, that's why they're mad at him. Sometimes you, realize, you think to yourself, why are they so upset with Jesus all the time? It's because this is the stuff he was doing. This is the stuff he was saying. And he knew he needed to flip the whole thing upside down in order to truly bring the kingdom of God down to this earth. Amen? And I think it's interesting because when you read these passages and study these stories and really start to dive into some of these Bible stories, we get this fearful feeling that the law of God stands against us. And that he's waiting for us to do something wrong. Almost like this God is this policeman, right? And he is waiting for just us to do something wrong. And he is going to just come down and put his finger on us and said, you have been found in the wanting. And this is what happens sometimes when we read <laughs> stories like this. Like if we approach God about our needs too much, he'll be mad at us. Or if we complain too much, he'll put us in the penalty box. Or if we tell him what to do, he'll kick us out of the game. It's like he's this cosmic referee and we better play by the rules. Does anybody ever feel like that sometimes? Like, ah, I better not do anything wrong. I don't want to react. Oh, Lord. And, and we almost we act like God's a policeman or we begin to act like God's a referee. And he's blowing whistles and throwing flags you know, or rewarding first downs for good behavior. And we'll begin, if we're not careful, we'll begin to do this when we read stories like this. But I want to encourage you tonight. I just want to encourage you tonight. That's not what it's about. Because here's the dilemma. The finger of God that wrote the law and bound us up by the law 
is the same finger that sets us free. Amen? So, how can we be free and holy like our holy God? Think about it. Because later on in Exodus, later on in Exodus, God tells Moses, tell the people, tell the people to be holy for I am holy. So how can we do this? How can we do this? How can we be holy like our God? It seems a little bit unfair, doesn't it? I mean, God's in heaven. I'm in Michigan. (laughs) And it sounds like this angry voice, doesn't it? You need to be holy for I am holy. Doesn't it sound angry? So we, but I want to encourage you tonight. We always get these, we always get the the tense and and the tone confused because if we could read the original and know the original Greek and Hebrew and all that, we would understand the tenses because sometimes we'll read verses like, and the kingdom of God has come upon you. And it's like, chest bump, woo, yeah. But it's not that at all. It's, it's actually, it's actually the, Jesus is saying, and the kingdom of God has arrested you because you've been hiding in the bushes. And then we read this verse like this, for God says, you tell the people of Israel, be holy, for I am holy. And we're like, oh my goodness. And we hear this angry voice, and it sounds like, it sounds like this, like, it reminds me of this. Like a professor, you're teaching an upper level, like an upper level math class or something in college, and the professor's like, and you will get an A because I am your teacher. How many people would be excited about that class? I dropped that class, right? So what's God saying here when he says, for be holy, for I am holy? What's his tone? What's he saying? He's saying this. He's the professor, and he's teaching the highest level math class, and he calls the class close, and he gets them up front, and he says, now listen, you're going to get an A because I am a great teacher, and I'm going to help you. Okay. All right. And you're going you're to do it. You're going to do it. Let's go. That's, what he's, that's the tone here, you see. And, and, but we get scared sometimes when we read these stories and we think God is angry. He's not angry. If he was angry, we, the whole, trust me, we're more angry than he is. Aren't we calling down the wrath of God right now? Don't we want God to do something? God, get these crooked people out of position and put in men and women of God. Lord, bring down wrath upon them, right? We're praying these prayers, and what's God? God is merciful, and God is gracious, and God delays his coming so that they'll have time to repent. You see, he's not like we are. He doesn't act and behave like we would. And he is saying here that, that, that no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a great teacher. So come close, and you're going to tell the people of Israel, to, they're, they're going to be holy. They're going to find out and figure out how to be holy because I'm holy. Because I am your teacher. I am your leader. I am your God. And I, I am long-suffering. And we're going to get through this, you see. So this is a, it's a calm voice. You're going to make an A. When I was in school, all throughout school, high school, I played, I played basketball. And we were playing this one game. And this referee, I don't know what this referee was doing. But this referee was calling fouls like crazy on us, on the team. This one play in particular, there was a loose ball going down the court. And I, <laughs> I dove, and I landed on the ball, and I had it. And then this guy jumps on top of me and slams me. And the referee called a foul on me. And 
<laughs> and at this point in the game, we were so frustrated with this referee, our whole team just jumped up quickly and was like right in his face. Get out of here. What are you talking about? Is a foul? How's it a foul on me? And the, my teammates were like, how's it a foul on him? You know, he's, he has the ball and the guy. And this is like this referee here. It's just calling fouls left and right. And if God is a referee, and he's just up there calling fouls and doing all these things, my friend, your God is my devil. Because <laughs> I didn't like that. And I wouldn't want to go back to that situation, right? And God is not up there just calling fouls. And sometimes we create this situation where we think God is just up there throwing flags, calling fouls, giving us penalties, just get into shape. What is wrong with you? And that's not what it's like at all. Because according to the Bible, it says if you believe upon the Son as your personal Lord and Savior, then you are seen as righteous. You're a child of God. Aren't children awesome? I mean, we probably almost everybody in here has children. Wouldn't you do anything for them? And don't you even like it when they try real hard and even if they make mistakes, you go, that's okay. I love you. And at times they ask for things like, ice cream at the wrong time of day and you know it's not good for them but you're like a parent and you love them and even at sometimes at the wrong time of day you'll even give your kids something that's bad for them. I know we shouldn't be taking you McDonald's again but here we go because I love to see that smile on your face. It's not good for you but I don't love you so much. Right? I'm going to do this for you. That's our God for us. Hey, that's not a very good situation for you, but I love you so much. Go ahead. Go ahead. I do. I love you. That's how much I love you. We are a people who struggle. We struggle in life. And God's not mad at us. We have addictions, and God's not mad. Some of us, we make wrong choices every single day, and God's not mad. If you have the Son in you, you've believed upon the Son, he sees you as righteous. He doesn't even see your sin. He doesn't even see you that way. And so I just want to encourage you. That's how Jesus sees. It's how God works. Hmm. That's good stuff, isn't it? God wants to write with his finger his laws on your heart. And in the flesh of you, and in the spirit of you. And the law that he writes in you, it isn't bondage, and it isn't binding, but it's life-giving, Right? Life-giving, resurrection power, rebirth of the new life. We should read it more like this. I love this. We should read more like this. We should always say this first. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of the Father, too. He says, because the Bible says Jesus only said and did things that the Father said and did, right? So look at This is what Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty through 30. Because Jesus, how good, it says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Addictions, anger, frustrations, too, too busy. What's the heavy burden that you are carrying? Come to me. Come to me. Draw in close to me. Be holy like I am holy. Come close to me. Whoa, that sounds like somebody who wants to have a relationship with us despite our flaws, right? And I will give you rest. What can we give him? What do we give him? We give him our, our anger, right? We make this trade. 
Jesus says, I got life and I've got joy and I got peace and I've got eternity with full of love and pleasures forevermore at my father's right hand. I got mansions. I got uh, uh, forgiveness for your sins. Jesus is like, what do you got for me? And you're like, I got anger. (laughs) Oh, I got a lot of anger. I got some unforgiveness deep down inside. It's brewing hard, God. I got fear. I am so afraid. I got loneliness and bitterness and brokenness and grief. That's all I got, Jesus. And what does he say? Give it to me. Give it to me. Let's make a swap. Let's make a trade. Give it to me. You see? And Jesus says, now, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Amen? For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And this word rest is a special word. It's not used much in the Bible. And it's not the kind of rest that we think of. It's not the kind of, it's not sleeping. No, 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 no. You sleep is, is I'm, how often do you wake up from sleep feeling great? Like, whoa, power nap, ready to go, right? No. In the morning when you wake up, are you tired? Yeah. No, you're tired, right? Ever taken a nap and you woke up? You're more tired after the nap than when you started. You're like, I should never have laid down. My whole night is completely ruined. I can. I'm in a fog. I'm in a haze. What did I take that nap for? I feel like I'm, geesh, right? That's not the kind of rest Jesus is talking about. No, no, no. There is a longing within your soul that needs to know there is an eternal heaven paradise. And once you realize that your soul is secure you find rest. So he says here, this is what he offers, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus wants to, God wants to write his law on your heart and it's, the burden is easy and it's light and it's loving and it's caring. And do you remember this story from Moses too where God tells Moses, he's trying to convince Moses to, to do this thing, right? To go to Pharaoh and do this. And this is a strange thing here. He's like, Moses, just take your right hand and just put it inside your cloak. You know, just go ahead. Remember this story? And he puts his hand inside his shirt and then he takes it out. What happened to his hand? It turned white with leprosy. Strange, right? I wonder what Moses is <laughs> I wonder what Moses is thinking. I wrote this down. God plucks this 80-year-old man out of retirement sends him to Pharaoh in his army with nothing but a staff and his brother to lay two and a half million stiff-necked people out of slavery. You know, by the way, here's some leprosy. (laughs) Thanks, God. So what's God doing here? What's God doing here? God is saying this. The condition of your heart. Put your hand there next to your heart. Take it out. What is it? leprosy. The condition of your heart will determine the outcome of your hands. How you see God working in your life determines the outcome of the work of your hands. And if you're putting your hands inside your own heart and it's full of nasty stuff and you pull it out, the work of your hands is the fruit of that. So God wants to write his law on your heart, change your heart, right? That's what happens at salvation. And, 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 He's saying, God is saying to Moses, I want your heart to work itself to the extremities of your life. Isn't this good stuff? I want to write the law inside of you. I want your heart to work itself into the extremities of your life. 
And God is just trying to get Moses motivated, trying to get him going. God does this with us all the time. When you have the law written on your heart, you can do anything you want to do, and it's okay. Whoa. Really? Yes. Because if you have the the laws of God written on your heart, you'll want to do good things. So you can do anything you want to do, and it's okay. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? I want, I don't know. I want to, and if the law of God is written on your heart, you can do anything that you want to do, and it's okay. Because you want to do things that are good. Amen? When we ask people to invite God into their heart, and, and get saved. As a preacher, I am never worried if God is in the mood to save today. Are you guys ever concerned when the salvation call is given? Oh, Lord. I hope today that you're in a good mood to save. Lord, I, I hope it's not a lightning bolt. Ready to keep splitting them in two. I don't want to see that mess in this room right now. Has anybody ever thought that when the salvation call was given? Never. How come we think that when we go to God with our prayers and our petitions and our worries and our frustrations and we have a hard time confessing to God our sins, how come this is? How come we will offer salvation and we tell people it's a good gift and it's salvation for your soul and there's rest for your souls and there's forgiveness for your sins and there's life everlasting but then that same God that we are for sure certain that's always in the mood to save all of a sudden turns into a different God when we're ready to get confession going. We think he's going to kill us. We think he's going to say this is the last straw with you man. You're out of the game. I'm the referee and you're out. How can we turn him into that? It's because with our own schizophrenic, wild, fractured way of thinking that changes God from one moment to the next. What if I stood up here and I offered salvation and I said, I hope God's in a good mood today. I was communing with him this morning and he seemed a bit edgy. So come with hesitancy today, my friends, because I don't know what mood God is in. Is that, no, right? He is an awesome God, ready to save, ready to do good things for us, excited about us. It just makes me think back to the first week when we talked about, and maybe you weren't here, so I'll recap a little bit of an illustration from the first week of this series in the study of God. When we talked about God's will, no, God's, I forget the name of the message. So anyway, we think God is up, is up in heaven and there's, there's, there's seven and a half billion people on the, on the planet. And so there's seven and a half billion light switches. And he's like, a, he's like that old school phone operator from I Love Lucy television shows. And she's trying to get everything connected properly to whoever's calling. And okay, you know, 911, here you go. Or, you know, the bakery and da, 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 da. And we think God is up in heaven. He's got seven and a half billion switches and lights. And he's just frantically getting ticked. As all these lights are going off and they, certain lights haven't turned on for 20 years and nobody's praying anymore. And we just, what is it like there up there with him? It's like this. He's got one light and it's yours. 
and he wants it to turn on. He wants you to, to talk to him. He's got one. That's it. It's how it is with God. He's 100% focused on you. That's weird and amazing. And he's approachable. And he desperately wants to see the light turn on. That's how God is. He's not frantically running around about anything. He's 100% focused on you and your light. And he just wants it to turn on to say, oh, he's calling. Ah, she's, she's, she's calling me up. Let's go. Let's talk. Let's have this conversation. Yes. And so we always know God is ready to save. He's a holy God. He's complete. He's entire. He's true. He's loving at all times. And he desires that all would be saved. Amen? 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is sometimes faithful. <laughs> right? No. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And this word just is this word of, it's an interesting word. He's, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. How is he just? How, how, the, his justice is, his declarations of, of innocence over you is perfect justice. And it's amazing to think, right? And I've shared this illustration before, but salvation is like, You've got all these sins, and the wages of sins is death, and you went to court, and you've been in court, and they've been going over and over your rap sheet, and you've made plenty of mistakes, and you realize, I'm going to die for these sins. I'm going to death row. I've murdered. I've, I've killed. I've stolen. I've, I'm a thief. How is that possible? Because you thought in your head. Because Jesus says, if you thought it in your heart, then you, that's who you are. And if you've, you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery, so you're an adulterous, murdering, lying thief. Oh my goodness, what's your, ju- what's your judgment? Death. And, and you're like, how can this be? We, we, you know, we here in America, we let human beings give down the death penalty, and we think it's fine. It's justice. So isn't God even more able to give out the death penalty? Isn't he even more just than a judge that we've deemed educated enough to do these decisions? Sometimes we think God can't send people to hell, but we allow a human being judge to just send people to death row. You see, we're, we're ficky. We're, we're, finic- we're finicky, aren't we? But God is per- the perfect judge, just, and all these things. And who's your lawyer? Who's your lawyer in the court case? Jesus. So the verdict comes down, death. You're going to die. Oh, no. Your lawyer s- says, wait. Great judge, perfect, just. Take me instead. Take me instead. That's what happened. That's what's happening. So Jesus takes your place. No lawyer, no lawyer have ever taken the place of a death row inmate. But Jesus has done that for us. And so when you go from this life to the next, and you're weighed, you're weighed in the balance. Your sins will outweigh the good, I promise you. Because even your good actions were manipulations to try to get something in your favor too. Because <laughs> all your good works are like filthy rags. So what do you have to offer? You've got nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when they realize your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you've been covered in the blood, they relook at your life and they go, whoa, all I see is all the good stuff. Woohoo! Let's go, baby. Look at how awesome you are. 
Look at that time you helped the girl on the side of the road who had a flat tire. And look at that time you helped that old lady cross the street. Look at that time you shared your testimony in church. You professed me before men. He professed you before men, Heavenly Father. They're gonna, it's amazing. The whole heavenly choir sings for you. Welcome home, good and faithful servant. Why are you good? Because of Jesus. He is faithful and he is just. He is allowed to bring down justice. In the Old Testament, there's this little thing in there that says, you can bring down a justice with three witnesses. You get three witnesses, then you can give a verdict. So who's our three witnesses? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's justice. It's perfect justice, but it turns into your favor. Amen? Amen. Second Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This is the heart of the Father. Amen? God has gone from writing his holiness on stone to writing holiness on your heart. God is not looking to get something on you. He's looking to get something in you. Amen? The same finger of God that writes out the Ten Commandments is the same finger by which we are saved, and the Holy Spirit is put right inside of us with that same finger. And here's our encouragement tonight as Rob is going to take the stage with his guitar. We're going to sing a song here at the end. But we must never forget our great salvation. We must never forget our first love, Jesus Christ. Don't forget what your day of salvation felt like. Don't forget what it felt like for the finger of God to write holiness on your heart, purity, to write love on your heart. Don't forget that feeling when it wrote on your heart. Amen? Don't lose your passion to tell others about your life change. God has written on your heart his laws, his ways. Be faithful to them. So pray this prayer with me right now. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, let me just fall in love again. Let me fall in love with your ways. Let me fall in love with the things that you love. Let me fall in love with your Holy Spirit again, with your son Jesus again. Let me fall in love again. Oh, Lord God, I I don't want to treat you like a referee or some sort of person up there, angry old man. No, Lord, no, Lord. You are comfort and peace and patient and merciful and gracious and forgiving and wanting to be close to me. So I come boldly to your throne tonight, oh, Heavenly Father, because you love us so much. And your forgiveness is as far as the east is from the west, never ending. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Let's worship here at the end. Let's worship. Let's go. I love this song. It's called First Love Fire. It's a wonderful song. Let's worship. I remember when all I knew to do was sing your name. And I remember when all I longed to do was give you praise. Jesus like the first love fire in me. 